0: If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open it to Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to read um, a few verses over us, and then we're going to kind of unpack those together, kind of verse by verse, and I'm praying that that God interrupts your life, so you're welcome. Um, So let's let's pray, uh, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 6 through 13. Um, Here we go. And he, Jesus, went about among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. They were clearly not checking their luggage. So that's that's a key there. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil, many who were sick, and and he healed them. So let's just pray. Lord, we, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would take your word, the living, active, sharp, as Hebrews declares it, powerful word, and do things in us. And and God, as we pull things out of these verses and and apply them to ourselves today, I pray that you would do spiritual surgery in us, that we would be men and women, boys and girls, young people that encounter you today, um, and we leave here different, that you would be spiritual sandpaper on our lives, that you would take things out of us that need to be removed from us and push things into us, press things into us and fill us with your spirit, God, so that we would be your instruments for your kingdom until we take our last breath. In Jesus' name, So let's walk through this uh, passage together, okay? And um, I'm excited to get to unpack the word with you. I'm really excited about what God's called us to do as an organization to reach the continent of Europe. But what I'm going to challenge you with today, I believe, is not just for another nation, it's for you as well and for your local life and local rhythms and local ministry. And so I want this to land on you as something you can take and put into practice every single moment of every single day. And then if, if God does uh, collide with you in such a way that he um, interrupts you to the point that, man, you're like willing to go and do and be a part of whatever God has for you in another nation or another city or another state, somewhere God wants to take you, that you would be open to that too, right? So that's what we're saying today is, God, um, we believe that you're working in us. We believe that you're calling us to uh, make disciples everywhere we go, whether that's here and your neighbors or the nations, right? And so whatever that looks like, we want it to land on your heart today like that, all right? So the first thing I want you to see from this passage is right there in the first few words, then Jesus went. And so the first thing I want you to grab a hold of today is this whole idea that God loves go, all right? God loves go. So write that in the margin of your Bible if you're taking notes, God loves go. He doesn't want you to be stuck. Um, And we kind of get hung up on, I shared this yesterday with this coffee cup verse, be still and know that I am God. That's really not the premise of the verse. The premise of the verse is that the nations will know right? So there's still, even though, I'm, even though all of us need to be still and we need to walk with God deeply and experience his presence, listen, worship, watch this now, worship when it's rightly done and, and rightly practiced, worship fuels mission. It is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and his kingdom and his glory. And so when we rightly worship the Lord, like we've done this morning, it should fuel mission. God loves go. And so Jesus went and and went among them and taught them from village to village. And so Jesus models this idea that God loves go. Now, Cookie and I and uh, three of our kids moved to England in 2011, I'd been working there, doing ministry back and forth for a season of our life to, to get to the place where we would finally say yes and change our zip code and move across an ocean. And it was quite a journey. It took us five years to get over ourselves, or it was really me, to get over myself. The rest of them were ready to go, I think. But the reality was uh, when we landed in England, I had never driven in the UK, okay, ever, ever. Like when I went on mission trips, somebody else was driving and we would take trains and it's really fun by the way to do the train train thing. But anyway, so when we landed in England, literally um, someone had given us a 1999 Peugeot. So it was 2011, so it was a cool car. I, I was grateful that it was given to us and it smoked by the way um, and it was amazing. It was so fun, it was a little toy car and and I literally can remember The first time I got in the car, I had not studied much about driving in England, but here's here's the picture I want you to get, okay? Other side of the car, right? Yeah. And you shift with your left hand, right? Yeah. Same clutch thing. Everything's, yeah, same as normal, but you're on the other side. you're You're shifting with your left hand and you're on the other side of the road crazy. crazy whoever said that you are correct crazy like oh my gosh this is this is definitely different okay and and so then yeah so there's a lot of concepts that i had to grab a hold of literally grab a hold of really quickly or you do really bad things stupid things all right so so one of the things in england and across the the colonized nations of England and and the United Kingdom is, um, they have roundabouts, right? Now, if if you're approaching a roundabout in America, no one knows what to do. It's chaos. But in England, everybody knows what to do. And the concept, listen, this is what I call the theology of the roundabout. You had no idea where we were going today, but here it is. The theology of a roundabout is go. The premise is go. And so it really frustrates me because I grew up, I spent several years in Houston. So, you know, I'm, the, the car's an offensive weapon. You know what I'm saying? And so, I, so it really bu- bugs me when people tap the brakes at a roundabout. I'm like, you're from here. You know, the premise is go, go, go. So also in England, little known fact, they don't have any stop signs anywhere. It's amazing. So when you come to a T-junction, All you have to do is look both directions and you can just keep on going. It's so fun. So they do have red lights now, but but it's just like so fun. There's not a single, I have never seen a stop sign in England. They have yields, they have T junctions, but you still, the premise is, well, if no one's here, just keep on going, right? It's wonderful. You never get a rolling ticket from a police officer for rolling through a stop sign. So great. Anyway, so the idea here is the premise is God loves go. So what I want you to consider today is, God, if you're calling me, if you're calling me to go and be a part of your kingdom work, to live in this stream, just like you modeled for us, to go about sharing Christ and sharing the love of God and sharing uh, who Jesus is and the call to repentance, like all that's in this passage, then why do we tap the brakes? Then why do we push pause? God is calling us. God is commanding us uh, to to follow Jesus' model. God loves go. So the second thing I want you to see about this is verse 7. Calling the 12 to himself. So I love this idea about Jesus. Jesus is always inviting us. He's always calling us to himself. He's always inviting us to join him where he's at work. He's always including us in what he wants to do in your town or your community or your church or the the country or the nations. He's always inviting. Now watch what he does. He calls his disciples to himself. And I think there's several things that are really important here. One is obviously um, you and I, if we're gonna, practice this life of go and experience all that God has for us, there, we, we have to be near him. We have to have his presence. We have to have this nearness, this deep abiding relationship with Jesus. So Jesus called his disciples to himself. And man, there's, there's been uh, many, many days in my life where even this morning, early this morning, God, I I don't want to take another step without your Presence. I don't want to go one more step without your nearness. God, I want to know and feel and experience the power of your presence in my life. It is the presence of God that transforms us. It's the presence of God that transforms us. The power of the living God, the power of the Holy Spirit that shapes and molds and equips and and empowers us to do this idea of going and communicating the love of Jesus from village to village, like Jesus did in verse six. And so God loves go, point number one. Point number two, Jesus always invites. He's inviting you today. He's inviting you, some of you, man, you you might've just rolled up your first time here and you've never encountered Jesus personally. Um, I've been. We we had some great conversations with people since we've been in Austin. There was a young guy named Nicholas who was at the desk at the Holiday Inn Express. That uh, I asked him to print out my sermon. I'm still old school. I still use paper. But anyway, and so he handed me my my sermon notes back, and he goes, "Hey, do you have any idea what kind of a Bible I should read lately? I've been." You know, thinking about reading the Bible more, I'm like, man, this like, this. It felt like England to me. Like, as soon as somebody hears your voice in in, in England, if you're an American, they were like are you an American? And I'm like, yes. And they would just say, well, stand here and talk to me. Well, that's like inviting a pastor to just go off, right? You know, it's like amazing, you know? And so Nicholas is all, all of a sudden, he's like, man, I want to know, know about the Bible. And so I'm just sitting there, a customer shows up, and I stand at the side and then come back. And, and so what, is, what, what am I saying here? I'm saying, man, I want to I know the nearness and the presence of God. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want to be a part. But it's always, it's always, it's always about the gospel, the gospel the gospel God loves go God is inviting you and inviting me to participate in the work he's he's calling you and I into this is about this is about you this is about here this is about now what is God saying to you what's he inviting you into Who's he calling you to, to press the spirit, press the living God, press the word of God into their lives? What an opportunity. So if you've never met Christ and you're that guy or that girl who's watching or, or in this room today, and you're like, man, I, I, I've never met Jesus, man, Jesus invites you to salvation. But if you're here today and you know Christ and the spirit of the living God is coursing through your life and you experience him moment by moment, he's inviting you to mission. He's inviting you to take the gospel from here to wherever your foot falls tomorrow. And so Jesus always invites. The second or the third thing I want you to grab here. And this is where, man, some of this stuff is so funny to me. But, so we're going to unpack it. But in, in verse 7 and 8, he says, calling the 12 to himself, he began to send them out two by two. So he's basically saying, this is what I did now i'm calling you to myself to experience my presence to experience my nearness and oh by the way i'm launching you out 2 by 2 i'm in, i'm inviting you to join the mission and then he says in verse 8 these were his instructions take nothing for the journey except the staff no bread no bag no money in your belts and i'm like wow that's that's interesting what does that mean and so in my mind, because I mean, we live in the 21st century. I'm trying to make this comparable to, to the things that we deal with every single day. And basically what I believe he's saying is I'm inviting you into an interrupted life. That your life would be interrupted. You don't need, you don't need a bunch of stuff. You don't need uh, an extra, not an extra shirt please wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Isn't that funny? Like how serious he gets about what to take. Uh, take a staff with you, take no bread, no bag, no money. And, and I mentioned this yesterday and, and Ross and I were talking about it last night, but man, it's this idea that the relentless pursuit of treasure and pleasure in our lives is numbing. And it numbs us from the main thing. And so we get so consumed with treasure and do I have the right shoes on or do I have the right clothes on or do I have the right stuff in my life? And sorry I'm getting up in your business right now, okay? But the reality is we live in a, we live in the top 99% of the world right here in Austin. I don't live here, but it's a cool place. Anyway, but but the reality is we can get sucked into this this mindset that all the treasure and pleasure that the world has to offer is why we're living, why you're breathing, why you have a pulse and a heartbeat, you know, but that's not why you're living. You're living for the glory of God. You're living for God loves go. And Jesus is inviting you today into an interrupted life where you begin to say the things of this world are growing strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And so, man, it's for me it's just laying down your dreams. It's laying down maybe your father or mother's dream for your life or laying down the the idea that man, whatever I'm building towards so that I can retire early and just play golf or whatever, travel, that's the that's it. No, that's not it. That's empty. That's numbing. But, but the glory of God and the kingdom of God and the power of God from an interrupted life is God taking your dreams and giving you God-sized dreams. We, we sang about that a moment ago, that you would give us dreams. And so this morning in, in my time with the Lord, um, one of the passages was Jeremiah 33, and I want to read this. Over us, Jeremiah 33, verse two. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known, dreams. I will, I will show you great and hidden things, things that you've not ever known, things that, that would stretch you and call you out and pull you into a God-sized dream. Are there things that you've never had the courage to pray for? I mean, some dream, like, God, would you save my father? God, would you touch my wayward son or daughter? God, would you help me reach my neighbor? God, could you do something with my business so that I could leave that and go to the nations. That's a crazy, courageous dream. But maybe God's pushing us and nudging us this morning to this interrupted life where we say, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, my yes is on this table, whatever, whatever that table is in front of you, my yes is before you and God, whatever dream you have for my life, I'm willing to press in. So God's inviting us into an interrupted life. And this passage just is like, man, all this stuff that we worry about, honestly, it's the stuff we worry about that create the, the greatest anxiety in our lives. These things, all this stuff the world says we need, two tunics, you know, an extra blanket, whatever, you know, pack your minivan, you know. Do people still have minivans? I have the minivan, but anyway. Um, but the, the reality is, it's just this, man, it's just so numbing. And what, what I would love for you to consider today is, man, is God calling you to check some of that stuff, all of that stuff, you know, at the door and go, okay, God, this is the door I'm going to go to. I'm going to walk through this. I'm feeling you calling me to this interrupted life. And then what happens after that um, is just kind of w- w- this, this picture of living scent. And so the disciples, he says, and, and if any place, when you enter into a house, stay there, verse 10, until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them, right? And then it says, they went out and preached that people should repent. And so what I wanna unpack here at the end of this is just kind of what does it look like to live sent? What does it look like for you and me to live sent moment by moment, right? And so the first one is a life of faith. And so if you go back to uh, verse eight, and that is where all of a sudden, uh, we're not worried about all the trinkets and treasures and the pleasure of this world, but we're trusting God for everything. Trusting God for everything, His plan, His purposes, His provision. So we're, we're basically saying um, all of this stuff, God, I am gonna live my life by living a life of faith. And, and, um, and, and so looking back at our story as a family, it was that life of faith that was the wrestling match for me because as a father of four and uh, a husband, when, when God said go, and I wrote that in my journal in 2005, I pushed pause. Because I couldn't wrap my mind around how in the world, God, you could provide for our family and hop off the paycheck train and move into this stream of raising money to move across to another land. And, and it took this element of faith where we had to, as a, as a family, trust God for everything, everything, literally and, and it was like, all of a sudden, and we get, again, we kind of get comfortable. Again, um, it's easy in our culture to just kind of get used to stuff. Like you walk in, you walk in your room and you flip the light on and the light comes on. Well, lo and behold, that's amazing. You know, I don't even know how all that works, but it's so great. You walk into your kitchen and you turn the tap on and water comes out. So cool. You reach into your fridge and there's stuff in there. But you understand that's not, that's not the rest of the world. I mean, so many places, even places we talked about yesterday, up, up here on this platform with these other two amazing organizations, that's not normal. That's out of the realm. That's out of the pale of even their thoughts and their wildest dreams. And so we can get really comfortable in this life that we're living in and we can still be faithful followers of Jesus and givers to the local congregation and to missions and all those things. But I want to push you past the numbness today that we live a life of faith. And what does that look like? It looks like risk that you would say, God, what do you want to do with my life in this moment? Where do you want to take me? How do you want to use me? And then you posture yourself to step out in faith and risk. Now watch this. When you and I risk, it drives us. We, we, we get out there on the edge and we're risking. We're, we're living on the edge and we're risking. And we're saying, God, I am out here. And it creates the spirit of dependence in us. So what happens when we risk? We, we fall on our face. We get on our knees and we cry out to God and we say, God, I can't do this, what you're calling me into without you. So it creates in us a spirit of dependence. So risk leads or faith leads to a spirit of dependence. And the numbingness of our comfort is what keeps us from living in the powerful movement of the river of God, this raging torrent of where God wants us to live, this risk-filled, faith-filled life of dependence on God. That's where we're meant to live. That's where we're meant to live. That's where you and I are meant to be, but we get, again, we kind of get pressed in by all the stuff, you know, the things of this world, and it begins to numb us and cloud us from this idea of living a life of faith. And so God's inviting you. He's inviting us to live a life of faith. I shared this yesterday. Um, One of the books that really pushed us, uh, and me personally as a a father and as a husband, as a minister, was uh, Francis Chan's Forgotten God. And it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And he uses this phrase, why do you need the comforter if you're comfortable? Well, that just blew me away. Because I'm living, at that moment, I was like, I'm so used to the, the comfort of the day. And, and we were never meant to live here in the comfort. We were meant to live out on the edge, risking for the glory of God, for the, for the, for the nations and our neighbors, and saying, God, will you use me? here with my coworkers. God, will you take me and pull me out of this comfortable place and live this life of risk so that the Holy Spirit is not just, yeah, I need you, God, but God, I am desperate for you. And without you, I cannot take another step forward. I cannot do one more thing. And so living sent is a life of faith and it's moving us out of our comfort zones. The second thing is a life of prayer, practicing the presence of God. It's moment by moment. It's the daily rhythm of your life. And so I believe, honestly, when Jesus pulled his disciples together and called them to himself, this is about the presence of God. This is about the experiencing him in the nearness of who he is. Well, how do we do that? Jesus isn't physically here. So how do we do that? We do that through practicing the presence of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer. And it's this idea, this power comes from prayer. And so when we got to England, listen, I'd been a, youth, I'd been a minister, a youth pastor in America for 30 years. And it's not that I didn't value prayer. I prayed about all our stuff. But I'm just telling you, in, in America... It was easy for people to come to Jesus. It was easy for people to make decisions to follow Christ. It was easy because there was still a spiritual culture of religion. But when you get across the pond and you're living in a Europe that is post-Christian and hates God and is antagonistic to God, man, our prayer life changed because all of a sudden, man, God, no, no one cares about this book. No one cares about this event we're trying to have. No one cares about all our stuff. They just need Jesus and they don't have any idea. And so how does that happen? Prayer's the only way to break through that kind of darkness. Prayer's the only way that, that it works. And so man, prayer has to be like, not just a thing, but the thing. Prayer has to be the foundation of who we are as his people. And so living sin is a life of faith. Living sin is a life of prayer. Living sin then thirdly is a life filled with gospel-centered relationships gospel-centered relationships one of our phrases is the gospel moves at the speed of relationships the gospel moves at the speed of relationships in other words in your orbit in your sphere of influence wherever God takes you you are God's chosen sent one just from this passage he sends us out You are God's chosen sent one to carry the presence of Christ and the message of Christ, the good news of Christ into your relationships. Um, There's coming a day in America where people won't care about your services. They're just not going to care. And so how are we going to reach people really, really far from God? It's the power of relationships, the gospel moving at the speed of relationships. And there's three or four things I want to unpack really quick because my time is almost up. But really, really quick. You and I must possess the heart of a shepherd. What does that mean? That means you see people differently. You're a shepherd everywhere you go. Men, the place you land at work tomorrow or the school you attend, if you know Jesus, he's our good shepherd. You have to have the posture or the heart of a shepherd. You see people differently. The second thing you have to have is the heart of a servant. Listen, the world doesn't care about your message unless you serve. That's gonna be be what brings about the question. Why are you different? You don't come in expecting things, like this entitlement, like it's all about you. You walk into a room and you assume the posture of a servant. I am here to serve. I've watched Ross all weekend and I man, he is a servant. He's moving chairs, he's doing stuff, he's taking he's taking taking the posture of a servant. That's not normal from a from a senior leader. Often, but that's 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 what this that's what this is. That's what the biblical narrative is. You and I have to have the posture or the heart of a servant. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Took up the basin and the towel, washed the disciples' feet. What was meant for the lowest of the low in that room that day, the King of kings and Lord of lords washed the disciples' feet. It's the heart or the posture of a servant. The third thing is that you and I have to possess a culture or, or, or facilitate a culture of honor among the people that you're engaging People that are really, really far from God, people that don't believe anything like you believe, whatever religion, whatever ideology, you have to honor them. They're made in the image of God. So how do you, how do you love them well? You honor them. Now listen, this is the greatest tension in the North American church is that you hold to truth and you create a culture of honor. Right? So we're not backing off the truth, but we're doing it with the heart of a shepherd, the heart of a servant, and a culture of honor. So that when people that are antagonistic to you and me begin to ask questions, they go, man, this guy's different. This girl's different. They, they possess this tenderness about them and this kindness about them. And there's a heart or a culture of honor. The fourth thing in living sin is a disciple maker's heart. You're passing on the principles that someone has passed on to you. It's 2 Timothy 2 2. Read that this afternoon instead of watching a football game that nobody cares about. 2 Timothy 2 2. No pressure. Anyway, 2 Timothy 2 2. It is this culture of discipleship making, and that's the heart of gospel-centered relationships. We wanna see people come to know him, but we don't want them to just make a decision and be done. We wanna take them on a journey of discipleship. And all that is is you sharing with them what you know and where God's taken you. And then lastly, lastly, finally, is that we are living out and declaring the truth. I, I, we can't soft-pedal truth. What what does that word say? It says they preached the truth. Basically, they went out and preached that people should repent. That's a word we don't hear very often. But that's truth. Right? That's what God's calling us into today. Right? Let's pray. Bow your heads. Yeah, we want to end this time. And I'm going to ask Ross to come up in a moment. I know we've gone a little bit long, but... I want you to to consider three or four things to pray into today. One is that this is about you and this is about now. Not Jesus and 2000 years ago and what what he asked the disciples to do. It's about you and it's about now. The second thing is that you need to, I, I would love for you to pray things like this. God, I know you intend to use me. That's your plan. I know you intend to use me. Spirit of the living God, fall on me. Just whisper that, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. I know you intend to use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me, fill me. And to recognize, or even to say out loud, Jesus, you're worth it. Whatever you call me into, wherever you take me, it's worth whatever that risk is. So, Father, do what you want to do in this moment. I pray uh, over these folks, both in this room and online, and we ask, Spirit of the living God, that you would interrupt us today to go to our neighbors and the nations. In Jesus' name.